um, earlier. I don't know how many budget um, supermarket shoppers we've got in the room. But I don't know if you've had that awkward moment, right? If you, have, if you are an, a budget supermarket shopper, Lidl or Aldi maybe, when you get to the checkout, you have this awkward moment. And it's always a bit of a rigmarole when you get to a supermarket like that. Um, it's a long way round. Um, if you're anything like me, often the list is not in a logical order or the shop's not in a logical order. So you've gone backwards and forwards, down, up and down the aisle. You're fighting your way round people. It's pretty stressful. And you get towards the queues after what has already felt like an ordeal. There's inevitably about five items you've left on, off your list. And you look at the queues, and if you're like me, you play the game, which queue is going to be the best? There's three queues that are already halfway down the aisle because it's a budget supermarket, and you choose your best one. You realise shortly afterwards you've chosen the wrong one, the others go quicker, and you're just sat, you're stood waiting and waiting and waiting. You get to the belt, you put all your ice on the belt, the belt moves slowly for some reason, and so you like put everything on the belt and it piles up. Then you get to see the um, checkout person and you're face-to-face with them, they say very little, and it's often quite awkward. And then you quickly realise, like, in that moment they become your nemesis. Like, they want to pack the shopping as quick as you've ever packed anything in your whole life. And they're flying the items through. And I've, I worked out I've got three phases of response at that moment. First phase is I'll get my bags in the trolley, like all set up, all nicely. And I'm like, I can do this. And I just whiz them into the packs. And I'm like, I can do this. I'm, and I'm going, I'm going, going, keeping up. Phase two, like, it all goes pear-shaped. Like, I've got a sweat on. I'm really struggling. Everything's going anywhere. Like, I'm just lobbing stuff in the trolley. <laughs> Phase three, like, I'm actually pretty agitated by this point. And I'm going, no, I'm going to... I am going to defy you, cashier, and I am going to just take it at my own pace. And if you have to pile up all my shopping on your till, it doesn't matter because I'm just going to go my own pace. Now, we've gone through all of that. I've packed all my shopping, and I get to the moment where they say one of their very few words, cash or card, and I always say card, and they say £45.17, and I always have that moment where I'm like, is that over the threshold for the contactless or not? Do I have my PIN number? And I have the horrible moment. Anyway, go to check out my card. And then it happens. This is the awkward moment. It's not gone through. And I'm like... So I say to the person behind the cat, the, the tail, I'm like, oh, well, it's not my card. Can you just try it again? Try it again. And I'm like, oh, no, it's happened again. I look down at my phone... Go open the Monzo app, and I realise nothing in the account. So, but I realise at that very moment, Elisa's at home, probably getting the notification. She's as quick as anything trying to get a, trying to get money in the account. But it's this horrible, horrible standoff, right? Where I've given my card over, and they look at me and say, "Your card's not working, sir. It's not working." And it feels like a lifetime. It feels like an absolute lifetime. And they say your account has no credit. And in that moment, I'm like, well, what, like, what are we actually going to do here? Like, am I going to walk out to the car park and leave you my whole bag of shopping and just go home? Like, are you honestly going to unpack all of my shopping and take it around the shop? But they just look at me and say, your account has no credit. And it's horrible. Now, I was in Aldi this morning and it all worked out fine. But it happens regularly. When I was at university, I had a similar experience. I 
said earlier, I don't know what this says about me, that this kind of thing happened. With my library card, we, the university library, there was three big turnstiles as you go in. You, check, you put the um, library card on the scanner, and then you walk through this kind of awkward turnstile where you, like, you put the card down and you have to like, push your body against it. So it's always like, it's a pretty awkward situation as you're walking into the library. And anyway, the way it works with that particular library is you put your card down, and if there's any fault with your account or you've got overdue books or this, an issue with your... You snapped your library card slightly while playing rugby or whatever it is, um, when you put your library card down... You push through the barrier, the barrier just doesn't move and a red light comes saying no entry. Now, awkwardly, it always happens just after you tried to push. So there's this horrible moment where you like put your car down, push through, and you're like, oh, no. And then you've got to go and see the woman or man who's at the like, library checkout booth. And without fail, multiple times, it happened to me again, I'd have to go and say, my card's not working and they'd say, without fail, whatever the problem was, whether it was printer credits or overdue books, they'd say, your account is barred. Your account is barred. And I used to go to my mates, whoever it was, and say, it's like my card is cursed. It's like my card's cursed. What is wrong with it? Look, two silly stories. But as we zoom into the last hours of Jesus' life, to keep the Bible close, because we're going to just walk through, But we see Jesus takes on the curse of being rejected and barred. Jesus takes on the curse of being rejected and barred. So we're going to ask three simple questions as we look at the text. I do have it open. What's happening? Why? And so what? First, what's happening? Look, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, just have a look down with me at a couple of details. Look at verse 45. In the middle of the day, the world goes dark. It's noon, there's three hours of darkness in the middle of the day. That's the first detail that we'll come back to. Second, verse 46, Jesus cries out to God while hanging on the cross, why have you forsaken me? Why is it that Jesus says that? That's the second detail. Third detail, verse 47 and 48, Jesus is mocked by the people present. Fourth detail, verse 50, there's no doubt about it. Jesus is facing absolute agony as he hangs there. Look, maybe as you look at those details, as you, you think of a picture like, a, like that video, or maybe you've seen the passion of the Christ, maybe you see that and you think, it's a picture of absolute chaos, isn't it? Jesus' body all cut up, darkness, horrible, grim, brutal. But you see, the details of what's going on help us to see it's not just chaos, like it's not out of control chaos. The details show us what's happening. So look, the darkness, detail one, the darkness showed that it's God's judgment. Throughout the Old Testament, God's judgment was signified by darkness. Centuries before God had told his prophet Amos to announce how his judgment would come on his people, Amos 8 verse 9 says, In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon, and darken the earth in broad daylight. It's clear. It's dark because God is judging Jesus. Second detail, the cry of forsaken. Why is it that Jesus cries like that? Well, because in amongst the brutality of physical death as Jesus hangs there, it's not just the agony of crucifixion that Jesus faces, but it's spiritual agony as he faces 
his father, the wrath of his father. God the son suffered at the hand of God the father. That's why he says, why have you forsaken me? What about the other details? Being mocked, being in pain. It's just unfolding exactly as it was promised. This is what Isaiah 53 verse 3 says. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain like one from whom people hide their faces and he was despised and we held him in low esteem. That what's happening as Jesus hangs on the cross, he is facing God's judgment. If you're sat in the room and you're in any doubt at all, if you are tempted to let it wash over you, if it's just so familiar, if you've ever missed the detail, if you're in danger of not taking or you're in danger of taking it for granted, there's no doubt Jesus faced absolute torture on the cross because he took God's judgment. <coughs> Why? Well, verse 51 and 52 give us two supernatural occurrences that happen at that moment. One, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. God's told his people to build that temple in Jerusalem, a building where he'd dwell with them. But as part of it, he'd told them to install this curtain 30 feet wide, 30 feet high, hand thickness. It's a keep out sign where a holy God can't dwell with an imperfect people. They can't pass through. It's a representative of the the keep out sign in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, God says, because you have done this to Adam and Eve, as they disobeyed him, they didn't listen to him, they rejected him. And Genesis 3, it follows a pattern. Because you've done this, you're cursed. Cursed, cursed, cursed is repeated word. And then we get to verse 23 of Genesis 3, and it says this. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Do you see the pattern? Curse, 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 banished, barred. The curtain of the temple is torn in two because Jesus takes the judgment for sin. The curtain being torn shows that, that there's nothing preventing people approaching God. There's nothing keeping humans from being at peace with him. The curse of sin and death is lifted by what Jesus does. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, curse is everyone who is hung on a pole. Second supernatural event, I wonder what you thought as you read it, whether it looked slightly unfamiliar, whether it's maybe slightly less talked about. It's a bit more difficult, tricky, a bit weird, isn't it? Look at verse 51. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many people, of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. It's a bit more confusing. There's some discussion as to what the exact chronology of what happened there. Because um, if you look, he clearly says this Matthew, as he edits this account, 
it says that they went into the city after Jesus' resurrection. So it's a bit tricky to work out exactly how it flows, but here's what we can be sure of. The three things, we can break down those events into three blocks. The first block, the earth shook, rocks split, tombs broke open. That happened at that very moment. As Jesus hangs on the cross, that is happening there and then. The third thing, the bodies came out of the tomb. That happened, look down, verse 53, after Jesus' resurrection. So the second thing, when were the people actually raised to life? Well, it's kind of not actually that clear. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, not, not clear. But here's the very crucial point. Here's what's certain. This is the moment, as Jesus hangs on the cross, that the earth shook, rocks split, and the tombs broke open. What does that mean? God's power is breaking in. It's breaking through, and the curse of death has been broken in that instant. You see, death came into the world because of sin. And in this moment... As Jesus hangs on the cross to defeat sin, something's changed. Why did it happen? Because the curse of sin and death had to be lifted. Without the cross, we're just like me at Aldi. There's no credit in our account. We can't approach God. We are spiritually bankrupt. Without the cross, we're standing at the library gate, barred, unable to enter. We're like Adam and Eve. Because of our rejection, because of the way we failed so many times, we deserve the curse of sin and death on us. We deserve the darkness of God's judgment. We deserve to be mocked and separated. So, what does it mean for us? If you're honest with yourself, you look at your own life, you look at Time has gone by, what's gone on in your life, and it's easy to say, spiritually bankrupt. The, the thoughts I've had, the words I've said, the actions I've done, the feelings I've had, that contribute nothing to God. They don't please him, they don't make him look like the good God he is. They don't live up to his perfect standard, they're self-focused, they're selfish, they're about me. You look at your own life and if you're honest, if we're honest, we must say that those things contribute to a deserving separation, barred from God's presence. And so we get to a day like today, we, we get to a moment like this as we zoom in on what Jesus has done, and maybe all kinds of feelings might go through your mind. Guilt, shame, embarrassment, insecurity inadequacy feeling fragile but but when you see Jesus hung on the cross in your place if that is what you trust you can say that Jesus faces the judgment of God to lift the curse of sin for me Jesus faces the judgment of God to lift the curse of sin for me you're no longer spiritually bankrupt. Your account has been credited by Jesus' work. You're no longer barred. You've got full access. But, but it's even more than just that. You see, those feelings, guilt, shame, embarrassment, inadequacy, 
that they don't belong. You see, they're a consequence of the curse of sin, right? They only exist because of sin. So this evening, as we look at what Jesus has done, and we feel probably the weight of sin as we see what Jesus does, there's a call for us to to leave it at the cross, our sin and the guilt and shame that's attached to it, to leave it there. See, here's the thing. As I walk into Aldi, like I did this morning, the first thing I did, the first thing I do, is walking through the front door, look to the left through the big kind of perspex sheet to look at who's, who the cashiers are that day. Why? Because I'm looking, at the, looking out for the one lady who's watched my card being rejected three times. Because I'm petrified. I'm ashamed, like deeply ashamed. I, I desperately don't want her to see me approach her because what's going through her head? She must be thinking, oh, here's that idiot who's never got any money. Here's that idiot who doesn't know how to use his account. I'm embarrassed it's hanging over my head. I used to hate going into the library at university for many reasons. But I used to hate approaching the um, turnstile because I felt like it was a lottery. At any given moment, I could get stopped. And I'd have to go to that lady again and say, there's something wrong with my card. (coughs) It was hanging over my head. But you see, this is where it's fundamentally different if we trust in Jesus. Jesus' work on the cross doesn't just clear our account, set us back to square one. He deals with the curse of sin. Those feelings, they don't belong anymore. Where we're tempted to go, I'll turn over a new leaf this week, I'll start reading my Bible again. I'm going to come back to... But then there's that pang of guilt. Like, how am I going to work this one out? Those feelings of of shame, once we've given over our sin, they, they don't belong anymore. If you trust in Jesus... You leave your sin at the cross. And all that goes with it. Everything. And so we approach God freely. Because, what, because of what Jesus has done for us. So today, as we celebrate, we look at what Jesus has done. It is a celebration because we do approach God with confidence and assurance. So we're going to sing together in a second the song, Jesus Paid It All. And it includes this vivid imagery that we've looked at in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Let's sing together because this moment in history as Jesus hung on the cross means that we've got no guilt. We approach God with confidence because we are pure like wool, because Jesus paid it all. So let's say.